Heavenly Father, we're so grateful for all of your love and mercy toward us in Christ and um, for just unmerited favor. We thank you that um, we recognize and are humbled by the fact that we didn't do anything to deserve your, your love and your mercy and your grace. And um, in fact, it wouldn't be grace if we did earn it. Um, so we thank you for it and um, we're just in awe of it and we pray that you'd help us to be good stewards of the gospel and uh, preach to others and love others and do the things that you've commanded us to do. And when we fail, we trust you to give us repentance and bring us back to uh, just to look at Christ and to see and rest in him. And um, We thank for all your people that are here. Thank you for this fellowship, this church that is yours, that you have assembled here and you continue to assemble. And um, what a glorious thing it is. And I thank you for being a part of that. You've made me a part of it. And um, I just I love all the people that you've brought here, and I thank you for them. And I pray that you would bless our study tonight as we uh, don't necessarily want to learn more about the 1689 Confession, but we learn about our confession to help understand the doctrines that we believe about the Scriptures. And so we pray that you would just give us understanding and insight into that, into more understanding of you, and uh, help our unbelief. Give us more belief and faith in the things that we need to believe and that are so important uh, from the Scriptures. And we do lift up to you uh, the names that have been mentioned, and we pray for Hiram, that you would uh, take care of him and all of the the, uh, issues and um, struggles he's having, the um, doctors and everything. We just pray for you to bless that and um, bless him, bless and open his eyes to see the gospel and hear it and believe it. Uh, just bless Jeremy as he takes care of him. And, but we also uh, pray for Tina. And uh, just ask your blessings on all that's going on in her life. You know all about it and already in the future and see uh, everything and know everything. And So we just trust you. And I pray that um, no matter what uh, the tests uh, seem to indicate, that you would just um, bless her and heal her and take care of her and um, give them some good news soon. And uh, we continue, as always, to pray for those around us who do not know the gospel and uh, that you would cause them to hear it and see it and uh, be saved. We trust you for all that we need and for all the good things that you give to us. We're thankful in Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right. Well, I thought real quickly before we jump into chapter 20, do a review right quick. Does anybody, see if anybody remembers, or did you, if you don't have notes. Does anybody, can anybody remember the, the first use of the law for Christians, or just in general. We talked about last week. Two, three, three uses of the law. Okay, you're talking. Okay, you're you're doing something different, but that's good. Yeah, that's the divisions of the law in the scriptures. So somebody said. Uh, okay, yeah. This is the usage of the three uses of the law. One to sort of show us our need for Christ. Somebody said that. Standard of right and wrong. Right. For the whole world. Standard. God for believers. And a guy. That's it. So, and when we talk about the law now, we're pretty much talking about what's summed up in the Ten Commandments. The law that was written on the heart of, of all the people that's ever lived. All of us have the law of God. And when you see it sum, summarized in the Ten Commandments, so in other words, we're not talking about Sacrificial system is gone. And we're not talking about the judicial system because it it, it died when Israel um, when Israel was crushed in 60 AD. There's no more need for that. So we're talking about the Ten Commandments, basically. So why do we still believe the Ten Commandments and preach the, the Old Testament and the in the Old Testament law? Because it shows us our need for Christ. It is the law that we've broken. It's the law um, that is the heart of God. It's the law written on the heart of men. And this is going to be important for our chapter tonight if we get this far into it, the law is written on the heart of every human individual, so they are all without excuse, right? Adam was already responsible before God gave the positive law of do not eat this tree, right? He already had the responsibility to obey God before God gave him that law. So keep that in mind, and that's the same for all the world. Um, so good. Y'all did remember. Now, you were talking about the three divisions of the law. Somebody said, uh, I just mentioned that too. Uh, you had the, uh, the judicial. Oh, that's very good. 
Got my eraser. Judicial. What else? Ceremonial. Ceremonial. What do you? What else you say? Moral. Moral. Yes. Okay. <laughs> I kept hearing rule. I'm like, <laughs> the rule, the rule law. The heavy accent, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> so. Yeah. All right. Anything else? It, it, well, yeah, I have a, a, that, a tissue right there. Work. I think it is. I think it's in that little bag over there by the bookshelf where I got everything up. Next to the bag of money. Right. <laughs> Don't mix them up. Thank you. Yeah, that'll work. That works good. All right, so we'll take all that down. Uh, do you have any more questions or anything to talk about from that chapter before we move on to this one? No more concerns about the law? Want to get away from it, right? Talk about something else. Talk about the gospel and grace. All right, so chapter 20 is very interesting and um, for a lot of reasons, and we're going to talk about it because this should cause some discussion. Uh, perfect. Thank you so much. Um, and then, hopefully we will have a discussion. I'll spray some stuff. But one of the things that is so interesting about chapter 20 is this chapter, this entire chapter, does not exist in the Westminster Confession of Faith. If you, if you don't know, Westminster is the standard of faith for Presbyterian Church, pretty much. And some of you, we, don't, we didn't talk about this a long, long time ago, or we did. The Westminster is considered like one of the, the foundational confessions that come out of the Reformation. And... Um, like I said, the Presbyterian Church, a lot of Reformed churches, they use Westminster. There were several other ones. But the hour 1689 that came from what they called independence, but um, all, Baptists were part of that tradition, um, it, it is based along with the Westminster Confession, and it's a lot the same. In fact, a lot of the chapters, up to this point, all the chapters are the same. So if you, if you had a Westminster and looked at it, it's a lot... Uh, and some of the phraseologies in the paragraphs are exactly the same. But the 1689 Confession took a lot of its um, stuff from something called a Savoy Confession, which was a little bit prior um, to either this or the Westminster, but it came, they're about the same, all about the same time. I know some of you, that means nothing to you, but some people read that stuff and care about it. But this one is totally. Uh, straight from the Savoy to the 1689, it, it does not exist in the Westminster. And from here to the end, the Westminster and the 1689, the chapters don't um, coincide. They're different. Now, there's a lot of question as to why um, this is included. And there's a lot of speculation as to why it was included. But basically... The um, I had it somewhere to, to read to you. The, the Baptists took what the Savoy uh, writers concluded and put it in um, their confession um, introduction to say this chapter was included because there was some heretical teaching that came out of the Reformation also. So it wasn't just good stuff that came out of the Reformation. There's also some bad things. In part of the Reformation, um, known as the Radical Reformation, there were some uh, people who followed a man named Socinius. I don't know if you ever heard this word, but um, um, Socinians was a group. Now, it's interesting. I, I've tried to pin down everything they believe. Basically, they were anti-Trinitarian. They didn't believe that Jesus was God that he was divine. They believe he didn't really exist until he was, he began existing when he was born in the womb of Mary. So they didn't believe he was eternal. Um, and they also kind of based them along with, if you've ever heard this word, Arminian, 
if, you, if you're familiar with Calvinism, you should be familiar with Arminians because Arminians were the ones who rejected John Calvin's teaching and they wrote their five, what's called five remonstrance of Arminianism. And in response to the five points of Arminianism came the five points of Calvinism. Okay? So some other time we can talk about all that stuff. But um, Arminians believed that men, in some ways, they believed that men had a totally free will and they could reason, somewhat reason themselves to salvation. If you're familiar with um, the, um, gosh, my brain's not wanting to work tonight. The movement I'm trying to think of, the uh, not the charismatic movement, but the Methodism. Methodism, but what was that? Revivalism. Mm-hmm. When revivalism swept through America and mm-hmm. men like Charles Finney were starting these revivals, they're Arminian because what they would do is they, they believed that basically if you presented Jesus and um, the result of not choosing Jesus, then men could basically reason themselves to choose Jesus because why would you not choose him over the alternative? And so a lot of that Arminianism goes all the way back um, to this time, but also men like Socinian and the teachings of Socinian, uh, Socinius and Socinianism brought this reasoning of, um, well, you know, it, it goes so far that they would teach, Socinian and Arminians would teach, and well, it's sometimes they overlap. You don't even need the gospel to get saved. Okay, so men have enough in them through natural revelation, and, and it's amazing, I've heard this in Baptist churches. Well, the American Indians... They could have known Jesus before any missionaries got here and preached the gospel because they had nature. And they worshiped some kind of spirit. And they believed in spirits. So who's to say, right? And so basically I'm pointing that out to, to, to get to this chapter. Why did the Baptists in, include this chapter? They believed that this was important enough to combat because they were combating it often. And um, they felt, you know, they felt along with the, the, the ones who framed the Savoy, the Savoy Confession that we need to combat this, and so we need this chapter in here. Um, Westminster doesn't have it, but the 1689 does. Some people believe there was also a, a very incipient or just very small childlike beginning um, deist, a deism belief. Are you familiar with the word deism? Which is basically, I'm not going to say there's not a God, but if there is, who knows what he's doing, how he's, you know, if he did make everything, he's just kind of said, hey, good luck. And so there was some of that perhaps from that would come later, but... Um, so if you're interested in any of this and want to look it up, you know, do is kind of interesting. I think this is correct. So Sinian, and of course you can add the ism on the end of it. And what they become, if you look, if you say, was, is this still around? Because there's no new thing under the sun. And all these heresies just keep coming back. Um, this became this. Yeah. And now, if you're familiar, at least in the, in America, uh, these two are together. They kind of merge. Yeah. So Unitarianism is kind of that belief. Like I listened today when I was trying in between work stops, I listened to a unit a unit a modern Unitarian explain what they thought about Jesus, and this is what he he basically said. We basically believe he was he was a real good man, better than most, but he was he was definitely not divine. He was not God. He's a great teacher, and because he left us great teachings to follow, the man can reason himself to be obedient to God. And so, and I was going I was going to ask you, like, it is very similar, is it not? Is that very similar to their belief about Jesus? 
that he was not begotten, he was born at a time. He was created. Created. He was, he was a good prophet that came, came to die for our sins, but which I don't understand how they think he could die right. for our sins as just a good man. But <laughs> right. But did he quit existing after the cross? No, they do believe he was resurrected and went to heaven. Okay. Um, and sat down at the right hand of God. They've got some things right, but other things... But now, would you say, does modern-day Jehovah's Witness, they wouldn't go back to Socinian, would they? I was thinking they went back to... Arius. Arius. Yeah. They're yes, Arians. Yeah. Yes, Arian. More Arianism. Yeah. Yeah, because, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It seems like they got a little from... Well, and that's what I was saying earlier. You know, I think it's, uh, I think it, I heard R.C. Sproul the other day, of course, he was taped. All right, I didn't, he, didn't, he wasn't saying this live. But, um, yeah, yeah, because um, he died several years back. But um, he was. believing in Sprolism. Sprolism. So, uh, I do believe in Sprolism. So, uh, if that's the thing. But, you know, he. I think he said something like uh, every it seems like every heresy in the modern church repeats itself, uh, in, from the ancient church repeats itself like every hundred years. And so I thought it was interesting listening to that guy today, that Unitarian, I thought, well, he sounds just like Jehovah's Witness. And then, of course, universalism is simply everybody's going to heaven eventually, no matter what. So, um, but all of those things have one thing in common. They're relying on the flesh and not yeah, Christ. Well, it's always... It's always, that's the difference between real Christianity. Absolutely. Traditional biblical Christianity and every other belief system is you have salvation by grace through faith or you have works to get there. And, of course, you, you know, this guy was saying, and this is what Socinian taught, because he also believed in uh, everything had to be rational. So you can't have, you couldn't have a divine sovereign God who just chooses people and gives them grace and faith because that's not rationalistic. It's got to be something, okay, Jesus said, Jesus was a great teacher, and he said, do these things, and you will have eternal life. So if we do these things, if he said do these things, then it must be possible for us to do these things. So we're going to do Yeah, so there's some rational, there's rationalism. Yeah. So there's all that going on, and I don't know about the deism. That's uh, Sam Waldron believes in the incipient deism. James Renahan, the other Baptist that I read, behind he disagrees that was deism i can see that within this there would have been some beginning deism because this is kind of like i mean we believe in god but he kind of told us what to do now it's up to us to do it which is kind of like arminianism which leads and they also believe yeah and they believe in open you know kind of an open theism which arminianism believes sort of i mean you know Really, sometimes God's even surprised at the outcome and who's saved. And that's just not a, you, you know, it's just, I don't know what kind of God that would be. But, yeah, it's not sovereign. But I've heard Baptists, again, I mean, I've heard Baptists try to explain to me how God knows who's going to be saved, but he's still not responsible for them being saved. It's still up to you. And so I always have to ask, okay, so God knows that. Yep. So is there ever a chance that, is there any chance in the world that that won't happen if God knows it's going to happen? No, because he knows it. Well, then what's the difference in believing that and believing that this going to happen because God's going to make it happen? I mean, it's going to happen, and he knows it's going to happen. There's really no difference in believing. I mean, you're just, you're just wanting to believe in the uh, free will so much and the will of man so much that... Um, you're, you're rejecting the, the biblical gospel to me. But anyways, these guys, I mean, they, they, wrote, their own, uh, they wrote their own confession. There was a confession that, that um, convinced other people of these beliefs. It was actually an uncle, I think an uncle and a nephew. That, so Sinius had a nephew, or he was nephew and his uncle or something. Um, a lot of these movements, if you go back through history and look, a lot of movements, Jehovah's Witnesses, Mormonism, um, Unitarian, all these, they usually start with a person, just a single person. Um, I'm trying to remember uh, Seventh-day Adventists, all these things. One person, Mormons, yeah, Joseph Smith. And you always have this one person that God somehow 
told them these secret things that nobody else knows, and they write them down. Um, which, by the way, and I've been meaning to say this for a long time, you know, one of the things that separates the Holy Scriptures from all these other writings, all, almost everything, whether it's uh, any of these cults we just named, you have God separating out these people, telling them stuff, or giving them stuff. Either say, write this down, or here, you know, here's some tablets from the angels. Go, go uh, copy these, or whatever. The Holy Scriptures, holy men of God wrote as they were moved by the Spirit of God. God used men in their capabilities the way he created them. They didn't know they were writing Scripture. They're writing down, moved by the Holy Spirit, writing what they saw and testify of, and then God put all that together over 1,500 years in a perfect book that's unified and together about the same, same subject. To me, that's... that's yeah, it's miraculous. It's a beautiful. It's different, you know. Nothing else. That's why you have to. You have to understand. That's what inspiration is. That the God breathed book of the Bible is not God told men what to do. God used men exactly where they were, how they were, their capabilities, abilities, lack of abilities, the way they saw things, and the Spirit moved them to write what they saw, and it's all it's all together in the sixty six books. That's amazing. And, and together, so that's why when people, you know, people say, "Well, the Bible's not any different than the Quran," it is different. Yeah, it's way different. So, my cousin was married in the Unitarian Church. Oh, really? On a boat. Mm-hmm. On a boat. And so, yeah, they they attended it for a long time down in Miami. Well, you know, here's an. I think we we talked about this before. It's interesting. Um, men who are Armenian but are Bible they study the Bible and are consistent they become universalists because they want to believe that Jesus died for everybody the exact same way that everybody has a chance to be saved but they also see what the atonement did they see that wait a minute Christ really satisfied divine justice he took the wrath of God. He paid for sin. How can anybody be saved if they've all been chosen and if Jesus died for all of them? So um, one of the men uh, I used to read a lot, he was a New Testament scholar, William Barclay. Before he died, he became a universalist because he was an Arminian, but he was, he was um, convinced of the truth of the Bible and the consistency of the Bible. So it re- he either had to choose to believe, he, had to, he either had to believe that God was sovereign we had to believe everybody's going to heaven. Does that make sense? Does, does that, you understand why that's consistent? Well, before I, I was just thinking that before I before I became a I was one of my favorite preachers to listen to back then when I first became a Christian was Jerry Vines. Right. And great speaker, sweetest guy you'll ever meet. I've met him several times. But yeah, he even wrote a book on John three sixteen called Whosoever. Right. And it's all about, I mean, you would think it's by a universalist because yeah. it's, I mean, it's, it's like they're using that one word, whosoever, to make it seem like Jesus died for every single person. Yeah. And, um, I mean, it was, that was hard for me when I first started right. understanding Reformed theology. More. Well, if you, that's right. <laughs> and that's why, again, if, if you take those five doctrines of grace, if you believe depravity, and you believe in atonement, then something had to happen. Yeah. And you can't believe both of them. And which a lot of, um, a lot of Baptists don't believe in depravity because of that reason. And also a real Arminian and some Baptists, I found out, believe that when Jesus died on the cross, he sort of reset the Genesis scene yeah. in the sense that he he died for depravity, and now man's back on this ground where they can just choose or not choose. We're back to zero. we got to make our Yeah, that's, yeah. That's, that's Pelagianism. It is, it is Pelagianism. Everybody's like Adam. You basically are neutral when you choose. That's right. And, and so most Baptists are semi-Pelagian at best. And, um, but again, that, it's just, uh, it would still leave 
you would still, if you say that we're back like Adam, then that just means we're going to fail again like Adam. <laughs> you know, Adam didn't do it. What makes you think you can do it? But it erases what Jesus did on the cross. It really did. Jesus died so that you could try to do what Adam couldn't do. Yeah. But Jesus is the second Adam and did what Adam couldn't do. Did, yeah. yeah. It's also ultimately your choice, and God cannot do anything to change your choice or right. interfere with your choice. Or right. Like your your will is sovereign. Yeah, yeah, yeah. At which point you say, okay, well, what do you? Why do we pray for lost people? What are we going to ask for? He can't do anything. I asked a, a lady in one of my former churches that, and a sweet lady that I love pieces but I, she was saying that to me one night about about one of her children I said well I mean did you ever pray that God would just do whatever I mean Lord do whatever it takes I mean that's how sometimes if we're serious about praying for people who don't know Jesus we're like we believe they're going to hell we want them to be saved so Lord I don't care what you got to do but if you believe that but don't don't bother his will now do anything you can do but don't change his will it doesn't make sense because, I mean, that is what we would pray. Lord, their will is to, uh, they, they don't seek you or care for you. So I pray that, you know, I mean, we know that's what the gospel does. It does change your willingness. And your, your uh, as I say, your chooser is broken and he fixes your chooser so you can choose what you don't even want to choose until, you, until he fixes it. Of course, that's because we believe, we talk about the order of salvation. We believe that there's election, predestination, and then there's something... There's a, uh, there's a gospel call and there's a regeneration. Somewhere in there, you've got to be brought from death to life. You've got to be regenerated or else you can't hear the gospel. Right. And um, how all that happens, does it happen in the blink of an eye? Does it happen over time? I don't know. You know who who you knows? You born again to even see the kingdom of God. Yeah. And it's amazing, you know, you look at that and you, you, you read John 3 and everybody likes to talk about John three sixteen. but if you start it with Nicodemus, when Jesus says, except a man be born again, he cannot see the kingdom. And Nicodemus recognized, wait a minute, what you're saying is impossible. I can't be born. How am I, what am I supposed to do? Go back in my mother's womb? No, but yeah. I mean, really, if you want to save yourself, that's what you got to do. You got to go back. It's like that, but spiritual. You got to start all the way. You got to born yourself again. Can't do that. Anyways, so that we're talking about that, this is where we get to the gospel and the extent of its grace. Notice what it says here in section one: because the covenant of works was broken by sin. That's what we've just been talking about, and it was unable to confer life. This is in the garden. Adam and Eve. Adam and Eve. They broke the covenant. They failed. God then was. Pleased to proclaim the promise of Christ, the seed of woman, which you know is very, that's not the way children get here. They don't get through the seed of the woman. They come through the seed of man, but Christ was born through the seed of the woman as the means of calling the elect and producing in them faith and repentance. And so basically in this promise, the gospel in its substance was revealed and made effectual for the conversion and salvation of sinners. So basically what it's saying is, all the way back in Genesis 3, as soon as Adam broke the covenant, there was redemption right there. God gives the gospel, right? So, and, the, and, and it's through the promise, the promise of the gospel. And then if you go all the way back to, um, I'll do it so you don't have to. You go all the way back to chapter 7 and God's covenant. Um. Since humanity brought itself under the curse of the law by its fall, it pleased the Lord to make a covenant of grace. In this covenant, he freely offers to sinners life and salvation through Jesus Christ. On their part, he requires faith that they may be saved and promises to give his Holy Spirit to all who are ordained to eternal life to make them willing and able to believe. So that's the promise that God made in Genesis chapter 3. As soon as the fall happened, we already have the promise of the gospel. And we know that the gospel from there till now is what saved people. Because Paul told us that the gospel was even preached to Abraham. So we believe that the Bible is consistent. People didn't get saved in the Old Testament through the law and through keeping the 
ceremonial aspect or the judicial aspect. They, went, they didn't get saved because they went to the temple and went to the tabernacle. They got saved by faith in a Christ that was to come that they saw through the sacrifices, right? And through the blood that was shed. And we know that because we have the New Testament, all right? So, oh, let me go back to where I was. Chapter 7 is good to read in coordinate, alongside this chapter that we're in now. God's covenant, it helps you to see what we're talking about here. I feel like I'm not getting anywhere. All right, let's look at section 2 because that's what we need to talk about, I think. The promise of Christ and salvation through him is revealed in the word of God alone. The works of creation and providence, when assisted only by the light of nature, do not reveal Christ or grace through him even in a general or obscure way. Much less are those without the revelation of him and the promise or gospel enabled to attain saving faith or repentance by seeing these works of God. Now that sounds pretty familiar, uh, pretty confusing. <laughs> it's very wordy. But if you go to um, I was thinking uh, let, me, let me look at it. Sorry, I don't have the I don't have the Bible app open yet. I was gonna say we could look at Romans one, and, we'll, and then I'll explain what that section says. Well, you you'll know what I'm talking about when you see it. one beginning in verse 18 for the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth for what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that they are without excuse for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools. And it just keeps going. But you see that the invisible attributes, the eternal power and divine nature of God have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made so that men are without excuse. And that's basically what um, this section of our confession is saying the works of creation and providence, when assisted only by the light of nature, do not reveal Christ or grace through him, even in a general or obscure way. And they certainly aren't without the revelation of Christ and the promise of the gospel. This, this natural revelation of seeing God's creation is not able to bring saving faith and repentance. That's what this section is saying. So I already mentioned this kind of earlier, a, a little bit earlier I kind of mentioned it. People aren't going to get, this is, why, this is why they included this chapter in, this, in our confession. People only get saved when they hear the gospel. So there's no, they didn't want to mess with, they didn't want to mix up what was happening with this Socinian movement, all these other ideas that, you know what, people are just, people are getting saved everywhere. We don't know what God's doing. He's saving people everywhere. Some hear the gospel, some don't. Our Baptist forefathers wanted to make sure that people understood their stance was the way God saves sinners is through the gospel. So we have to preach the gospel. You say, well, I don't like the idea of, because you know, that you've heard somebody ask this question. You may have asked it yourself. You've at least thought about it. Well, what about the people who never heard? What about the people groups who don't have a Bible? What about the people who've never had anybody preach the gospel? <laughs> Well, that's the motivation of sending, that's the motivation behind sending people with the gospel to preach it. Because again, I mean, I'm telling you, I had a, a man that, that I 
loved that was a deacon in my church, in the Baptist church, told me, he told a class one day, God will only judge people according to the life that they have. So, and, and I said, well, explain that. And he explained it by, he used American Indians. He used people, I'm sure he used Africa, I can't remember. Well, they can look out and see there's a God. They know there's a creator. So they're not going to stand before God and be judged because they didn't hear the gospel. That's not fair. But there's no faith in that. No. And just looking at that, there's no faith in Clearly, Christian says no. it's only about faith. Right. And even in the Old Testament, the preaching of the Old Testament was faith in God through a savior that through a savior that was yeah. come to yeah. come. The covenant promise that was made to Adam, God was fulfilling it. Now again, I don't know exactly what everybody believed through the how they saw that, but we know the New Testament says the gospel was preached to Paul. I mean to Abraham. And he believed. That's right. And there's other places. um, Oh, there's other places in Hebrews, places where um, the same kind of thing is talked about. They believed the promises even though they didn't see them. You know, Jesus said Moses um, uh, longed to see my day and rejoiced about it. Isn't that what he said? And so... It's not right to say, well, the Old Testament didn't have the revelation of Christ. They did. They just didn't understand completely like we have the ability to do. But I was astounded that day when I listened to this man who's a preacher, and he was a deacon, and like I said, it was a man I loved. When I heard him stand there and espouse, basically, which I didn't know it was Socinianism, but it was a, a, a heresy that has that has been condemned by the church that because in that regard, again, let's just say that's true. Let's say anybody who does not hear the gospel, then God will only judge them according to what they know. Then the best thing to do would be don't tell them, right? I mean, if somebody said to you, the only way your child will ever be condemned is if he hears the gospel and don't respond to it. So don't tell them. So the best thing is, well, we're going to keep them locked away. I don't want them to hear it because what if they hear and don't respond to it? So there's so many things wrong with that. Now, I think it's right to conclude that, uh, you know, the God of the Bible will do what's right and just and good. And we spend a lot of time worrying about things we don't know the answer to, you know, like the full answer to. Because the other thing, and and I think it'll... uh, our confession deals with this too, along these lines. Well, what about what about babies that die, or what about mentally challenged, handicapped people that die? And our confession deals with that clearly. And um, again, it doesn't change the fact that people need to hear the gospel and be saved. And we have to trust that what God does about those things is right and good. But we still have responsibility. We cannot believe that God saves people apart from the gospel. But we have to have faith in that. If he is God and he does and he is the judge, having faith in him and doing the right and just thing, that's the scary part about all of this. Right. Trusting him. Not being in control. Yes. That's the hard part here. Right. Well, and if you remember that section I read from chapter 7, it says that along with the gospel... Um, he gives he gives us faith to believe. He requires faith, and then he gives it. Yeah. Uh, let's look at section three right quick. The gospel has been revealed to sinners at various times and in different places, along with the promises and precepts describing the obedience it requires. The particular nations and individuals who are granted this revelation are chosen solely according to the sovereign will and good pleasure of God. This choice does not depend on any promise to those who demonstrate good stewardship of their natural abilities based on common light received apart from the gospel. No one has ever done this, nor can anyone do so. Therefore, in every age, the preaching of the gospel to individuals and nations has been granted in widely varying degrees of expansion and contraction according to the counsel of the will of God. Now, that's a mouthful, but you know, there again, even the places where the gospel can go 
Depends on the sovereign hand of God. I mean, now, again, I am thank God for people who are willing to go wherever and preach the gospel. Um, I don't know if it was in here or somebody I was talking to this week. We we're talking about everything going on in the Middle East. I said, you know what's amazing is to think about, I'm sure, that God has people even there right now proclaiming the good news of Christ. People that, according, on both sides. Yeah. And because Israel needs to hear the gospel too. I mean, Israel's lost. You know, they rejected their Messiah. So, um, they, uh, Jewish people need to be saved. I mean, Ben Shapiro needs Christ. Um, but, and a lot of them are getting saved. But, um, but yes, exactly. And I'm astounded by that. But again, we can't just say, well, man, they lived in the, they're in their promised land. I mean, God, they're, they're over there in the Bible land. They'll be, you know, they'll probably be fine without the gospel. I mean, they, surely they see the, they see the hand of God. But it keeps going. They're blind. The God, yeah. The gospel is the only outward means of revealing Christ and saving grace, and it is abundantly sufficient for that purpose. Now, they're, you know, they want to be very clear here. It is the only outward means. There's nothing else. So, again, combating Socinianism, you can't live it out. You can't just do some good things and, and, it, and it's going to save you. You can't reason your way to God. Yet to be born again, brought to life, or regenerated, those who are dead in trespasses almost also must have an effectual, irresistible work of the Holy Spirit in every part of their souls to produce in them a new spiritual life. Without this, no other means will bring them unto, uh, uh, bring about their conversion to God. So we've talked about that before, the difference in the general call of the gospel and the effectual call. I try every time I preach to give a general call of the gospel. Hey, this is who God is. This is who Christ is. This is what Jesus has done. If you believe this, you'll be saved. There is no other way to God. All those things. I mean, I tried to say that this past Sunday. There's no other way to God except through Christ. That's a general call. That's all I can do. We could sing just as I am a hundred times. I could do everything in the planet known to man that you've ever seen done. The effectual call of God comes from God himself. Nowhere else. But it comes through the preaching of the gospel. So as we explain the gospel and tell people what their gospel is, then you all know this. Somehow the spirit of God awakens you to understand that's true. And I believe that. And Jesus died for me. And he is my savior. And I want to repent of my sins. I want to believe in him. All because of what he did. I, I, I don't know why. I listened to a preacher on the radio this morning as I was getting to Rockmark. And he said something about prayer. And he said, well, prayer is important. Because, you know, we have to pray if we want to be saved. And I thought, oh, my gosh. I mean, I don't even know where that came from. But I was like, no, we don't. I mean, again... That's a work that we do. Now, I know if I talked to this person, he'd probably say, well, I mean, you know, um, if, uh, what, I'm trying to think of Romans 10. Uh, 10 uh, if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus and believe in your heart, then God, you know, you've got to say the prayer. You've got to ask Jesus in your heart. We're way past that, but this is pointing out the effectual call of God, irresistible work of the Holy Spirit, brings your soul to life and you believe. Now, you can pray after that, you can't pray before that. You can pray, but you're not talking to God. But when God awakens you and, and brings life into your soul, then yeah, you'll probably pray and believe and some people might shout. I mean, there's a lot of stuff. But you can't do those things and then have God save you because of it. And you can't do anything. You can't even look outside and say, wow, look at all this. Look at that sunset. There has to be a God. Man, I guess I'm saved. Because you don't even know you need to be saved because you don't understand the wrath of God. I mean, the gospel and the, and the law proclaims all of that. Proclaims the lostness of men, the sinfulness that you have sinned against God, and your sin is against an eternal God, so your sin goes on for all eternity unless it's cut off. And the only way it's cut off is when you believe in Christ and realize that he cut your sin off at the, at the cross. Yeah. And that's a beautiful thing. Because there's never any other sin that you'll ever be charged with or um, held to your account. So, anyways, 
Uh, any question about this? So we could we could keep going, we, and we'll try to talk about this some more next week. Um, I, I'm, some of you may we all may be far enough along where this doesn't bother you, but I know that it, a lot of places, if I said what I just said about um, people aren't saved by natural revelation, that'd be a problem for a lot of people. Um, I several months, maybe a year ago. Made a comment on social media on Facebook about the sinner's prayer not being biblical, and it caused an uproar, like right. unbelief, and because I was in a free will church at the time, right. uh, even the pastor took offense to it, of course. Sure, so, yeah. Which is it's amazing how many people are blinded to that. Though. Right. It's, it's, well, we're and plus we love to think that we can do something. And we want to believe that we did something to get to God. And, uh, well, and if you, you know, I, I think back of testimony services that I used to be a part of. And everybody's testimony was about what they did. Now, eventually they'd say, well, and God saved me. But it was, well, I decided this and I did this. And so I went there and I did this and that. And then God saved me. There's rarely, and of course some of this is just not being taught, but there's rarely somebody says, I was dead and I, I, I've been hearing preaching forever and one day I understood the preaching and I don't know what happened. You know, I, it's like that song, I was blind but now I see. I was blind to everything, now everything makes sense. I don't even understand. I, I look at this thing about Jesus on the cross, I believe he, that was, he died for me. I don't understand that. You know, instead, there's, you're rarely going to get testimonies like that. Like, my testimony is I was dead and God brought me to life. And that was it. The only thing I brought to the table was sin and wretchedness, and he saved me. I heard a sermon by Alistair Begg recently, and, I know, yeah, me too. and he said that when he asked somebody to tell them their testimony and they start out with I or me, he said, nope, start again. <laughs> <laughs> Try that again. Well, and like I said, most time people are saying what they've heard, and uh, so you know, I'm not making fun, but uh, poking fun. It's just amazing that we've so poorly taught people, and we've taught the wrong things, so people believe that. I mean, we said uh, God. We basically said, and, and I keep bringing this up because my context is Baptist. But not too long ago, I had a Baptist tell me, right to my face, God has done His part. You have to do your part if you want to be saved. That's the common perception. Yeah, and I said, well, that makes you a good Roman Catholic. Yep. Yeah, which is, you know, not what we are. Right. Anyways, I don't want to go over time here. I do have a lot of friends. <laughs> well, I'm not ugly about it. Some things are flying around in my head. Now, um, because I, too, have heard lots of different teaching on all this stuff, too. Now, I have a friend who I used to listen to him. He's a... He's Iranian, and he had, had become a Christian, and he's gone back to Iran several times. He's also a Reformed guy, and he has friends who were visited in dreams, and then someone with the gospel brought it to them, but he was visited, they were visited in a dream that somebody would come to you, But they didn't get saved through the dream. Right. They got saved by, through the gospel mm-hmm. being brought to them. Right. But they knew ahead of time that they were going to meet somebody right. that was going to tell them something. And that their heart was stirred yeah. um, and prepared and all that stuff. But um, So I believe God works that way and, and has and can. Um, is it our norm in our world and our society? No, because Bible is like you're available to us. Right. And not only that, but if you read the Bible, if you put the whole Bible in, spread it out, and separate out the miracles, the the, the, the God doing miraculous things is a very tiny, small, oh, yes. not usual thing. Mm-hmm. So, and, and it, I've heard a lot of stuff I didn't read. You know, I, it's never happened to me, so I don't know, but I'm not going to say God can't do that. But still, they're not going to get saved through a dream. They're going to get saved to, unless they hear the gospel. No. I don't know and how you hear that. None yeah. of the people I've talked to have done that. And God said, this man, I can't tell you his name because his life's in danger, but uh, they, 
traveling to the mountains once God sent him up to the mountains and that whole big group of Muslims um, who were killers of Christians um, he presented the gospel to them and the whole tribe actually came to know Christ hmm. and so um, or the whole group of people yeah. the whole village I mean that is miraculous right there well and there's a lot of stuff we can say about that uh, one of the things in the sense that God sent them right, right? he sent them Christ sure through the gospel message, through the Bible, not just right. by man's wiles. That was not his plan to get there. Right. I mean, well, it. and I think that was the, you know, the thing that Baptists wanted to say, and I didn't get to all this, there were people who believed that the only way, that the only kind of church that would send missionaries was the kind of church that had the, the correct polity and the correct mm -hmm. uh, leadership like a, the Presbyterian style of church. So independents like Baptists and even uh, Congregationalists is what they were called because they believed in Congregational authority. They were wanting to say, oh, no, no, don't make no mistake. Independents and Congregationalists, we believe in the gospel. We believe in sending out missionaries too. Um, and that was one of the things they were fighting because they wanted to make sure everybody understood. We believe that people need to go out and preach the gospel. And they're going everywhere, so. All right. Sorry, we run over. Any questions, though? Wouldn't you want to say something about it, though? I thought you were going to say something. He just put you on the spot. Well, no, I was just curious. Oh, yeah. She don't speak up a lot, so. Like E.F. Hutton. Showing your age I know. I know it's only about three people said, ah. All gray hair. That's right. Yeah, that's right. Funny, funny.